Hello everyone, welcome to the Three Masons podcast. I'm your occasional host, Cindy, along with my fellow hosts, Gloria. Hello. I'm... <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and Abby. Hello. And today we're having a little bit of a somewhat open discussion, but it's really a conversation that we've had in the past, in the present, many times. From the... In the future. <laughs> in the future. <laughs> Something that's quite intriguing, and it's basically going to be about beauty and how we view it and how beauty can cloud our judgment of people, but also sort of the history of where we get that perception of beauty. And then perhaps it's going to be something interesting. It's certainly something that's intrigued us for a long time. Um, it's something that we kind of call, or at least it's, it's an overarching term, it's a bit more complex than that, but we call it the uh, medieval beauty standard. And it'll make a little bit more sense later, but it's part of an analysis, basically, on the, you know, some people call it the halo effect or, and so on and so forth. But we'll, I will get into that, basically. Um, it is an open conversation, so. Uh, if, if this were a YouTube video, I'd put like, put, leave your comments down below, but is this, this is a podcast, so there's no, there's no really, there isn't any sort of way for us to under, to kind of hear what you, your opinions are on this, but hopefully this is a way to kind of spark a sort of chain reaction of a, of thought processes in your own head about how we go about things. So, how do we start this? Oh wait, Abby? Yeah, I mean, you can keep going, you can keep going. Yeah, but you raised your hand like you had something to say. No, but I was wondering if I was going too fast. What was I going to say? All right, let's let's lay let's lay down the sort of foundation for this. So uh, I spent away too much of my weekend and weekday talking researching about this, but I think there's always almost always been like a sort of concept of physiognomy. Is that the word? <laughs> But basically, like an analysis of human faces. But I think as we, now that we have a very, not, I know this sounds stereotypical, but we have a very visually based platforms now where you can see so many human beings. I think it's a little bit more complex. Uh, like there's always been this sort of analysis on, on the face, but really like talking a little bit more about the analysis of like the how the physical attractiveness of people tends to influence like our like the perception basically of their per- of their personality and before if since we call it the medieval standards i want you i want you to know that this actually is something that happened the the analysis of the human face happened before the medieval era of course yeah i was gonna say we should like start at the beginning and the beginning as you said isn't in medieval in fact you can and a big sort of uh, you can find a lot of information about this kind of belief for example in like during the Greek and the Roman sort of time period where they were sort of, you know, bopping, if you will. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Wait, what? As, in, as in, like, you know, most of, like, what we know of that the culture at that time, before the medieval era. So we should start at the beginning. What would be the beginning? I'd say the medieval, the, the foundations, because this is kind of like the first beginning, the part one, basically. Uh, the foundations really, there are two main legs basically for the medieval concept and that's the philosophy of like the greek era and christianity and the bible and so early like physio physiognomy physiognomy physiom 
studies of the face um focused a bit more like it was less about the attractiveness of people and more like analysis of their personalities so for example brutes as they call them like might have like faces similar to aggressive animals so you know they would analyze you know a lion's face and see perhaps brutish characters might have you know faces that sort of compare to you know lions which uh I mean, you're kind of assuming that the lion is a brute, <laughs> but that was sort of the sort of I- idea, really. I mean, in that sort of vein of thought, you're assuming a lot of things about a lot of things. Yeah, but like, you know, people with certain personalities might have, you know, it might manifest physically. And this is actually like where the groundwork of this really begins, because there were um, Hippocrates. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, of uh, the Greek physician. Um, he was one of the like, big proponents of the four humors theory. And so often, often, oftentimes, like, he, while in his four humors theory, he introduced the idea of the four temperaments. Now, this is going to kind of become destroyed and sort of, I don't even know how to say it, but it kind of spawns a new life in the medieval era. What the four temperaments were in Hippocrates' studies is basically how the imbalance or the excess of certain humors affected the physical nature of a person. So people, sanguine sanguine people, people with an excess of blood uh, might be a little bit thicker, have rosy cheeks, um, you know, uh, like because of the, the... excess amount of blood in, 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 in their in their body. This is going to be taken by the medieval philosophers and kind of, you know, re revamped. Remixed. Yeah, remixed. But I think it, that's like the sort of like almost like a medical side of it. But there was a Christian um philo- like a theologian called well we call him pseudo uh, Dio- uh, Dionysius. Um and he wrote that and this is going to become really important later, that because God is the cause of everything and beauty is good, beautiful people and beauty have the same cause, which means that beautiful people are good because beauty is good. So he's one of the first proponents of the sort of like the physical beauty. This is very chaotic. Hearing that, I was shifting my eyes like, uh oh. <laughs> Um, and basically, the physical beauty of a person is an is related to the physical goodness. This is like the first time that we really sort of see this sort of laid out, laid out in bare. So, but the manifestation of it in the medieval era is something very interesting. And so, I kind of want to introduce you with something that's after the medieval era in the early modern era 1600s or as we colloquially call it Shakespeare time period and in the play Richard III which <laughs> Richard oh. III is the reappearing character in this podcast isn't he when when Gloria started mentioning in her during her research period Richard III I knew exactly where this was gonna go because we know we have history with this man don't we (laughs) (laughs) he's he's a recurring character on this podcast but in the play the Duke of Gloucester himself says quote that he is quote cheated of feature by dissembling nature deformed unfinished 
And basically, he said that in order, <laughs> there was spring, okay, and that in order to enjoy the summer period, he's going to basically be a villain in order to enjoy this time period because he cannot enjoy the sort of simple, you know, pleasures that attractive people um, can enjoy, almost implying that he's, um, his, like, he's acting out what his body has already decided for him. He's so evil looking on the outside that he must manifest the evilness via his character which is just (laughs) so so basically it's like i don't have the summer body so i'll wreak havoc yeah because almost you're already evil why not manifest your true personality basically Abby just said, basically, it was completely silent. But basically, if with Suda Dionysius's teachings, beauty means it's just a manifestation of the goodness in on the inside, because beauty is is made for good. The cause, the the purpose of beauty is to be good. Then, if you're ugly, well, the only logical conclusion is that ugliness is evil and something devilish. So, if you're ugly, I mean. You're probably just a bad person anyway. If you're deformed or unfinished, sent before your time into this breathing world, scarce half made up, well then I guess you're just doomed for to, to a life of villainy. And it doesn't help though, you have to understand, and you can still kind of see this today, that, that, that you know, people don't act the same towards people that they view ugly compared to people that they view beautiful. You know, there's somewhat of a little bit of a hostility and maybe low-key aggression sometimes and sort of like apathy or maybe nonchalance when it comes to somebody that not even that you find ugly but maybe just not attractive to you you're not going to necessarily you're kind of going to overlook them right uh but when it comes to somebody attractive you kind of give them your attention and so that lack of attention and lack of like sort of positive energy that can also sort of influence the way that you're going to then view yourself, you know? And you can see this sort of idea in, in, in the medieval time, going to the legitimate medieval times and not, you know, Shakespeare writing about it, that this sort of idea of ugliness gets weaponized by um, by the Tudors. So, of course, Richard III was a Plantagenet king, a, a part of the Plantagenet dynasty. And when he died, uh, Henry Tudor basically took over. Now, it's most likely that Richard III wasn't actually physically, like, on the attractive scale, ugly. He did have scoliosis, and so it made one shoulder slightly higher than the other, but it wasn't something that people really noticed. But people it, people actually only noticed it when he was defeated, and they were basically parading his dead body around the streets of, you know, we won! So that's when people kind of noticed that, oh, like, his deformity was actually pretty intense. But when the Tudor dynasty took over, Richard III went from being described by people who met him, like um, people from different countries, as a man who is, quote, lean with delicate arms and legs and a great heart, to being, like, only 15 years later being described as, quote, a hypocrite and a crookback who was deservedly buried in a ditch like a dog. End of quote. This is a bit of a side note, but the the descriptions back then are always so funny to read. Delicate arms and legs. Like, 
apparently he was quite thin, so I think that's I feel like he had a bit of a he had a bit of a feminine body build. So I think that's what they mean. But you know, you don't want to say it outright. You know, he's just a delicate man. But like this idea of um, because sometimes a lot of the writings of Richard the Third time are like a little bit exaggerated and being used as propaganda. So you know, like he's a handsome young knight, you know, and he was a pretty good warrior. So. It got it got used basically by Richard III's reign, and when it ends, there's sort of this idea that the Tudors really like to use that he's deformed because he's so crooked mentally, and so they would in histories about the the different kings, they talk about how when he was born, his fingers were like claws, and that he was suspiciously hairy and almost demon-like, and that the moment that he came out of the womb, his parents knew there was something up with this man. Like, this ain't natural. This is suspicious looking. <laughs> Abby is distraught. <laughs> I am. And like there was it, from from the beginning, there was so much ugliness in him that they knew that this man was not gonna come out. Like he wasn't correct in the mind, basically. I think also one of the fast, most fascinating things about hearing this, hearing the switch, is that unless you tell people, it still it it has still persisted to this day. When it comes to plays, movies, inter- interpretations of Richard the Third, there's still this notion of him having this hunchback. This this crookedness about him, everything is just not right, because that idea is still so prevalent and still so have an impact. Yeah, and so <laughs> it, it just to show how widespread this was, you know, when we think of the church, we think of you know good, morally upright people who won't judge on physical features. But um, the lawyer and now Catholic saint Thomas More, um. When he was writing his histories, no, no, we're not going to talk about it. No, say it. Are you going to say is he the one that looks like Laurence Olivier in the portrait? Yes. yes that's it. <laughs> okay, so yes, Thomas More, he basically, while he was writing, you know, his history, is he basically was saying that the fact, the reason why he was so physically twisted, was because he was twisted in his mind. So, like, if for example, if you're hunchback. That means like you're you like to hide things, you like to lie, you know, you're covering up almost for yourself. So oftentimes they would write basically how, you know, physical deformities actually like for example, if you have um a eye that shifts to the other side, you know, you're a shifty person, you know, you have a sketchy personality and stuff. Like really like an analysis kind of like in the Roman and Greek times, an analysis of the body be really more ugly people here pretty people there sort of mentality and this was exemplified by the sort of I guess the revitalization of the four temperament where it basically became like so the four temperaments basically are choleric who choleric people are tall and lean with a good memory but also extremely vindictive and then melancholic people are thin sentimental and typically scholars and then we have sanguine people who are red-cheeked because of all the blood merry but also lustful and they have short tempers and phlegmatic people are fat and lazy and not smart and so this sort of (laughs) why are you guys looking so (laughs) you guys are looking so weird not one positive trait for the phlegmatic people 
Yeah. They really, like, the phlegmatic people are just basically, like, the lowest rungs of society and conveniently... It almost always describes people of the lower class. The worst characteristic traits are almost always characteristics similar to what you might have seen in the lower classes. But it went from the this to almost being like there are some ideal sort of ones. Like, of course, the ideal is to be completely balanced in your humors. But melancholic people are a little bit more cool than, let's say, if you're a phlegmatic person. This is giving me two things. This is giving me one the japanese blood types indicating your personality type thing but it's also giving me astrology except without the stars like <laughs> where is a sort of strange analysis on specific traits in particular like sanguine people are lustful like how you know that bro? Because, because all the blood rushing i guess but it sort of gives a similar energy of like you're trying to really compartmentalize things into boxes you're compartmentalizing people into boxes I mean, Sing is right. Sorry, too close. No, no, I mean, Sing is right. Personality is something that's invisible and intangible. It can't necessarily be... Like, in, in your facial features and your body language, yes. But in, like, very specific physical traits... No, but that that you're, you're relating. It's not like you're, you're seeing the personality necessarily. What you're, what, what's happening here is that they're relating personality traits to certain... Per- physical traits no but the thing is that i think this kind of shows just how separate the sort of idea that the four humors are to our society now but the four humors influence everything about you sorry for being so loud um it kind of influences everything about 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 you so it's not just that there's a lot of blood but like the blood influences the way your brain works right so like it, it the sort of ideas of like the physicality is affecting like the personality is gives me the same energy as like hysteria comes from the fact that the uterus it moves in a different part of the body yeah. <laughs> and it causes women to go crazy. But like there's sort of idea of that that it's not just something you know that you learn via you know you're a well-read person so you're a scholar no 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 it's everything about like the for humors affect every single part of your body right but it kind of since it kind of almost started to become like divided from the idea of the for humors even though the for humors were still popular it kind of just became like there's a romanticization of certain ones and a demonization of the others and so what happens is that over time after even when you start to leave the medieval era that it's people who are phlegmatic and sanguine particularly are starting to be seen as people whose whose physicalness sort of impacts their 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 personality to the point where kings would people would like sort of choose kings by like I mean they couldn't choose the kings but they would rate kings also by their sort of you know phlegmatic kings for example you know were seen as kings who like they were the dumbest rung of 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 the kings basically but something um that you start to see is poetry in the medieval era oftentimes talks about women in very because most poets were men and like oftentimes they talk about women in very particular manners but for our ears it just looks like he's saying oh she is 
have cherry red cheeks because, but what he's really trying to imply, what the reader needs to understand is that she might be a little bit of a lustful personality. Perhaps she asks for too much. Perhaps she's a little bit selfish, almost. Or if, you know, a woman has a forlorn faith, she might be extremely vindictive, right? And I mean, it makes no sense, of course, but there's always this idea that the physical aspect of you is something like, it's something that needs to be investigated, right? Like, it doesn't just come out of thin air. Not necessarily investigated, but more as if your physicality is a tell for yeah. who you are on the inside. And, you know, it's easy to laugh at this because, like, oh, my gosh, four humors. That's so silly. But, but it's not, it's not, we, sh- we shouldn't be laughing. We, sh- we shouldn't be laughing because there has been some research that, um, to bring this sort of idea to the modern era, there has been some research that might imply that our brains are still, and culturally also, we're still almost hardwired to believe that beauty has some sort of effect on people, right? And so in 1972, uh, researchers uh, Dion, Burshid, and uh, Volster studied physical appearance and how the physical appearance uh, impacted the individual's lives. And they found that attractive p- individuals, people who were considered conventionally attractive, were viewed to have more desirable personality traits, such as being better spouses, having happier marriages, and as well as having better social and professional lives. And this also extended to career outcomes. And there was even some proof that employers, even if they were, um, even if participants wrote that they wouldn't choose, like that the physical appearance wouldn't matter in choosing, when eventually they had to do job interviews, conventionally attractive people always managed to find their way into the hired list. So it doesn't, we can't really be laughing when we seem to exhibit a lot of the same uh, sort of traits. And there's a theory called uh, an implicit personality theory that says that we make assumptions based off of very limited information about people. So let's say um, X was very angry during this particular moment, that must mean that they get they're always angry in stressful situations. Even though you only saw person X in one particular situation, we sort of use it as a blanket sort of statement for a lot of, I mean, a lot of our conversations are practically like this. They, oh, I saw this dude on the train. He was quite angry. And then it was like, yeah, you know, he must be that type of man who, you know, gets angry at very simple situations, right? Or, and, or I saw this person, they weren't wearing their mask on the bus. They're probably a they're probably a, a pro a no mask anti-vaxxer. What if they just forgot that day? You know? Um, but there's there's a part that the sort of um uh, sorry, I don't know why I don't know why my words are so twisted today, but that the theory the physical attractiveness theory might also be part of the impl- uh, of the implicit personality theory that when we see attractive people, we usually assume very specific personality traits about about them, and they're almost always positive. So, for example, we see that when we see when uh, participants see overweight people, even if they you know they 
will write down that, you know, weight has no matter to them in relationships, that they are less likely to hire people who they perceive as fat or because usually in their own, you know, excuse, it's that, you know, perhaps they're not, they're not as dedicated or as, as worthy um, of a job because, you know, they can't even take care of their own vessel. And even though, obesity is like a, a clinical condition even people who are seen as for example as shorter even in jobs that have no physical physicality and requirement like we're not talking about a firefighter we're talking about it's particularly with men shorter men are usually seen as as weaker less likely to have stable marriages and um more likely to be um insecure so on and so forth you know it's so funny because uh, we were saying earlier how we shouldn't be laughing because this is still so prevalent. This is the reason why, you know, places like, you know, those alpha male communities or incel communities mm. often are, th- there's a reason why men who are in those communities who are shorter, who are less attractive, have that sort of mentality mm. because in some sense, they're kind of right in that there will be certain assumptions placed on them and they'll be viewed as less deserving of many qualities. And that's why these communities are able to prey on those types of, types of men because there is some sort of real life basis to how we treat people with different sort of physical traits. That's true. I mean, like, and of course, you know, the, the sort of... Uh, reaction which means that you know I'm going to hate all women is very extremist at the same time it's we we do see that conventionally attractive people tend to have better jobs not because they're more smart which is oftentimes the idea like when we see attractive people you know who has a good job it must mean that you know it's because they're so intelligent when oftentimes it's because of the biases that we have instantly that attractive people have better personality personality traits and this is something that we've kind of we've talked about as a family a lot uh the family worth siblings but you know also with our other family family members that there is also a field of study that talks about the physical attractiveness theory in politics um and how it might influence the way that um the way that we vote and how oftentimes politicians weaponize attractiveness in trying to basically bring in the masses so this really kind of went I don't even know. It reached its sort of peak in uh, 1960 during the presidential race between um, John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon. And a lot of people, a lot of researchers felt that perhaps the fact that JFK was slightly more conventionally attractive might have aided him in his approval ratings. Well, of course, a lot of people felt like, you know, Nixon's just not very good of a politician, which I mean... But a lot of uh, there's a lot of people who feel like a lot of researchers think that there's almost a subconscious part in our brain that younger and attractive politicians are more truthful, more likely to uh, be honest with their emo- with their emotions. Even though let's be, there's almost it's almost kind of, kind of inverted actually. Mm. But, you know, I think you may be hearing this so far because we're not done. We're not done. You're hearing this and like, oh, those people in the in choosing jobs, how 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 stupid are they with their biases? But, bro, it spills into the everyday life. It spills into, you know, 
the movies you watch and so on and so forth. There are multiple instances where you could have had this sort of bias towards more attractive persons. Because, I mean, taking the, the example with Nixon and JFK, think about a lot of the portrayals of, 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 of villains, for example, in, 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 in superhero movies and so on and so forth. A crooked old man out here, you know, a bit on the bigger side, maybe have more sort of a crooked nose or whatever, so on and so forth. It's only actually a more recent phenomenon where villains are getting a little bit more hotter and sexier, if you know what I mean. But like, you know, if you look at like animated series from like older eras, there's a sort of lean, like tendency to have villains be more quote-unquote ugly. And you know, it's still something that you can see today, even though there's sort of like a little bit of a subversion, which we can have discussions about that, but that's for another time. I will I will say that it's interesting that you mentioned, I hope Abby will end up speaking soon enough, but it's interesting that you, me- that you mentioned the um, increased trend of attractive villains, because it's something that, I mean, I, I, this might be a little bit of an extreme example, but it's something that you see in that's weaponized in the portrayal of the devil. So in oh, because of the ideas of Pseudo-Dionysius and Augustine, who also had, um, who also had uh, ideas of you know, beauty and what it meant as a, uh, how it affects basically the person. But we see in a lot of the older uh, writings of the devil, he's almost always... Any sort of story about him, for example, if you see in Dante's Inferno, he's really ugly. Like, he he don't got any looks, right? And it's supposed to be like, I mean, he's such an evil person. It's not surprising that his true nature is so ugly, right? To the physical level. And this sort of idea of Satan is ugly is weaponized in John Milton's Paradise Lost, where... Homer actually pretty, pretty pretty physically attractive, and it's it's meant to because Paradise Lost, just like Dante's Inferno, is also very political, and so he basically uses this sort of idea of of the sort of attract attractive bad boy antihero to make you almost instantly root for the devil, which is just it's how fast you can go from the devil to mm, the devil just from the physical attractiveness the way that i feel like loki i know it's not his fault for sure but loki feel like he ruined the generation of villains to come unknowingly with that sort of sexy bad boy (laughs) anti-hero character because i'm sure now that we said those words you're probably thinking of a million different characters Mm. who who fit into this trope right so i just it's 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 really scary how the primal nature of human beings is so messed up. I mean, it's not like some people are suddenly becoming in leagues with the devil, but no, it helps for, <laughs> but it definitely helps for the story aspect. No, no, not that. It's just the fact that you can automatically kind of change the perception of a certain character or person or even politician based on how they look. They could be doing the worst things in the back of the book, but they're hot though. <laughs> like like something that there was an incident that has become a little bit popular with the what the classes the cl- classical like tumblr community but basically what happened is that i forget for which church but they were basically which 
you know, you, they could have just they could have just skipped over having a statue of the devil, but because but oh, <laughs> it's part of already. it's part of a bigger it's part of a bigger theme oh. because there is there is the archangel Michael and him defeating the devil oh. and 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 whatnot. Wow. It's not just hey statue of the devil in the church, like no 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 no. It's part of a composition. Not necessarily part of a composition, but the whole church basically is telling a story via the statues, right? And so they requested. It's it's a church. They're sculpting a a scene, Mm -hmm. and so the church of requested, of course, someone to do uh, uh, a a statue of the, the the devil. And so he cast a statue, which basically is him as, you know, like an angel of light, right? I mean, he's still obviously, you know, he looks like he has, like, he's obviously a fallen angel, of course, because he's not as cool as the, as the other ones. However, let's just say, I wonder if I, I wonder if I, I wonder if I can find the, this, this, this statue, but just so you understand what I mean by, like, a complete overhaul, right? So, there's this painting, I think it's a Saint Wolfgang and the devil, right? And he looks like a complete monster. Like, he has, a, you know, weird ears. He has another face on his butt, bottom, like, he's supposed to look like a monster. And in this statue, when I tell you he looks like he could have been a Greek god in the way that he's presented, to the point that the teacher was like, mm. This is edging the line because they felt like a lot of people, especially, you know, if they're coming to church and worship and they see this, I mean, he's shirtless, his legs are barely covered. He's looking like a pretty boy, basically. And there was, just like, and there was not enough hints to tell you that this is like, like, there is no like chains or like broken wings or like bad imagery to really tell you that, hold on, this is the devil now that you're looking at. So they're like, mm, I'm not really sure about that. This is my personal opinion. I'm a little bit of an extremist, but all I'm saying is, if you're going to make a statue of the devil, you better keep him under the feet of Michael. That's it. That's all I want to see him in. I I, I will say, I feel like this is more a case of artist wants to show off how how cool he can sculpt muscles type of thing, which is really it's a reoccurring thing from time to time where you see, like it's really it's really for the artist to flex the fact that they have muscle knowledge. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. Where are we? <laughs> it's, the, it's the same thing as when, like, you see a statue and the person's supposed to be wearing a really thick robe, but for some reason it's really tight on the skin to show how well they can sculpt folds, you know? You show a little leg or whatever, <laughs> even though it's a statue of Beethoven, but it's just to show off that, you know, I, I can I can, I can, can make a, a muscly leg, you know? Um, But basically, so what happened... Um, <laughs> what, what happened is that they got the one of the uh the the they got the sculptors one of his relatives to basically do a a rehaul a, a second version and so in one part he succeeded by making you know the devil a little bit more covered covered up but he also kind of made him a little bit even more sexier like he had a little bit more muscle definition yeah. oh, now, what, now what was he thinking <laughs> and so he basically he, he, he like he they, he put more symbols you know, that we still see, you know, with the devil like bat wings, and you know he has chains. Basically, he's locked up. He's a prisoner of his of, of his own making. But still, you can see that since the mid since the medieval era ends and we start entering into the modern era, that you know there's he's becoming a little bit more sy- sympathized, right, in the art, and and so 
this is also with the idea, you know, that perhaps he was rebelling for a good reason, you know, perhaps God was a tyrant sort of idea, usually just to help political narrative, like, the king is evil, let's look at, let, 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 let's reinterpret the story of the Bible, basically, sort of thing, but the, it basically defeated the whole purpose of what the church asked for, but art like this kind of helped with this sort of idea of, villains starting to look much more attractive as time went on and much more sympathetic so for example dracula who is a vampire of course and for the most part people will agree he's mostly evil but in the it, he goes from like he's never really described as a particularly handsome man a, a charming man yes but not particularly handsome but over time, as we continue to see him be revamped and more and more sympathized with, he has started to become more and more attractive because it it instantly puts that part in our mind that's like, I want to sympathize with this man. I mean, look how cute he is. I mean, I, I also think it, it kind of, the more, the uh, attractive makeover of villains also coincides with the interest of giving villains a better backstory and then we're kind of sympathetic, you know, I was abandoned when I was six years old and stuff like that. <clears throat> so now you have a more sympathetic backstory, plus they're really hot, or should I say they're really hot, and now they have a more sympathetic backstory. And so they kind of, like, you still kind of hate them because they're a villain, but they kind of start developing a fandom. Wait, hold on. Isn't it kind of funny, though, that they started as a subversion? But it's still sort of, and it's kind of like, you, you, the more you change, the more you end up being the same. Right, it's because they're they're saying, oh, evil can be attractive, right? However, in making the villain more attractive, people are start to then start to deposit certain good traits, a little bit more sympathetic traits to that villain. So it's sort of strange how it sort of comes back around mm-hmm. to that same thing that people were supposedly trying to subvert or defeat, where attractiveness has some sort of leverage, it has some sort of sympathy, some sort of goodness to it. But I think you can see this sort of manifest in one of the strangest episodes of the of internet culture, which is the Wanzler fandom. Oh, <laughs> no. I think I just struck pain in the hearts of many people. <gasps> but basically, there was a a a three um, D animation version of the Lorax story by um, Doctor Seuss, and. The Wanderer in the original Dr. Seuss books and in the original Dr. Seuss movie is faceless so that we can sort of infer that this could be any of us can act like the Wanderer, right? In the film, however, the Wanderer does have a face and he has overall much more of a personality, like he's much more of a defined character. And... Going from somebody who is sympathetic just because we understand that the sort of typical desires of wealth in the sort of I, I, I world that we live in took over him, you can see that the sympathies go from being because of his character to being because of his looks. Because in a sense, the, the Lorax 2012 version of the One Story is actually slightly more evil. Because he has a song basically where he basically he, he almost has this villain monologue about you know, how bad can I be? I'm just you know being a a, a good capitalist man, right? But like I basically have an evil villain overhaul, right? While the while the Wanderer in the original Lorax seems more like you know he's like a normal businessman, you know that ruins the environment. But you know what I mean. But a big part of the fandom was yeah. 
he's kind of evil but look how cute he is like he's such like he plays the guitar and he has a fedora hat on sort of thing like the sympathy really was amped up by the fact that he had a face and was seen as attractive i think abby wanted to say something yeah i, I was also going to mention the whole thing about the the guitar and even even the song the the monologue thing as a more kind of edgy kind of electric guitar sounds like yeah he's saying things that are kind of evil but it's rad and plus the kind of i'm not even going to call him I'll be honest. I don't see any attractiveness in the Wanser, but I if 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 you're still confused about the Wanser and you're like, why would you choose that? Maybe a better example would be Loki from the Marvel films, right? Because he also has a sort of similar fandom where people are are mesmerized by his bad boy attire, look, whatever you want to call it. Where in not even because. Yeah, but in 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 the like the older Marvel comics and the actual myths that inspire the Marvel comics, he's not necessarily like, to my knowledge, there isn't that much knowledge as to how he looks like, right? But I do remember that in the, some of the older Marvel comics that introduced him, he wasn't necessarily looking all that snazzy. In fact, they read they they if I recall correctly, they redid it to make it look more like the Tom Hiddleston version of Loki, right? And he, Tom Hiddleston come in with the British accent and everything, and you know, all the girls were like, oof! And, you know, he'd be putting in some leather, some that black hair and green eyes, and all of a sudden people are like, actually, it's okay that he killed like 80 people in two days because, you know, he, he misunderstood, you know, he just wanted to be loved. And you can see, because the first appearance of Loki, honestly, he looked almost like goblin-like. So no one had no one had those sort of feelings towards loki in the beginning but as with with the remake where he becomes more attractive suddenly there's a wave of sympathy like no you never see somebody talking like this about the 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 the, the green goblin in the spider-man <laughs> thing. i mean like you know but we need to understand his back and you never see that there's never that sort of fandom or the or that sort of like really like natural primitive need to sympathize with somebody and assume that there's a there's a greater good within them that's hidden that sort of idea that i mean like just look well, look at his eyes i mean do you, does he really look like a person that would do that on purpose he's just hurt based completely on the phys- the physical aspect of uh, of them but it's funny that it kind of works also for characters that are good also because i remember before before hugh jackman came onto the scene Wolverine was a short, somewhat very hairy, almost, he was quite animalistic, if you will. He wasn't necessarily, you know, your Hollywood lead. And in fact, it actually angered some of the fans when they they, they announced that they were casting Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Because they're like, why is this tall, you know, kind of attractive man out here playing Wolverine? But once he, he stepped into the scene, all of a sudden there was this huge popularity boom with Wolverine because he got a little bit of a, he got a little bit of a makeover, you know, he got smoothed over a little he bit. Got, he, got, he, got, he got smoothed over. And like, I think, like... Honestly, the coding of evil, like the physicality of evil, honestly, could get really uncomfortable. Like, just like small changes can increase the popularity of 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 certain characters. Like, I hate to bring this up, but the hooked noses. I I know people don't like to make this about race. However, the hooked nose was because the hooked nose. Either was seen as you're intelligent or you're evil, 
you can see how the the already pre prevalent idea of Hook Nose being some sort of like evil hag character was basically being utilized by the Nazis that y'all noticed that you've got Hook Nose. I mean, we all know together that that's a sign of evil of evilness. Like these sort of code so that we use, for example, for example, like hunchback characters. Like yeah, you know, we see you know, like when we see quasi motors, like oh wow, it's so sad that he's being bullied like this. However. When designing evil characters, even if they don't naturally have a hunchback, oftentimes you will portray them ho hovering over as like the physical deformity of showing the, the inside, right? Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's just like, it's so odd how the hook nose went from being, oh, you're really smart to being evil. But I want to talk about this because I remember when I was um, doing school, right? And it was about um, sonnets and they had to talk about Shakespeare, right? And um, <laughs> uh, I went on Wikipedia and it was basically talking about portrayals of, of portraits of Shakespeare, right? And apparently there was a time where people were a little bit upset thinking that maybe the typical portrait of Shakespeare could be actually him because they were just like, he doesn't look English. He looks kind of, <laughs> he looks kind of Jewish or oh he looks French or he looks like a Moor, et cetera, et cetera. So they're like, this can't be Shakespeare. I'm just like his his forehead wasn't wide enough, not enough intelligence there. His he has too soft features. He doesn't look scholarly like. Yeah, swarthy skin. He his hair is too dark, and it's just like this is crazy. That, that's that's sort of like how you're able to sort of hack these little things because hook noses were already kind of in a dichotomy of smart or sinister, and then you have somebody coming in being like well there's this entire race of people supposedly who only they only oh. ever have hooked noses and so they're, 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 you're, they're hijacking that sort of strange thing that we already made and now implanting and so that most modern iterations there's always a little bit of like an iffiness of like did they did they do this because of anti-semitism type mm. thing right but it, it all still stems back to how beauty kind of informs you about a lot of certain things you know like i mean let's be honest the reason why i'm not not to not to make it like this but the reason <laughs> the reason why we're able to overlook all of our dear president justin trudeau's missteps and mis prime minister prime minister uh justin trudeau's missteps and kind of you know forgive him when you're out here not remembering how not remembering how many times he's on blackface is because He's generally considered to be attractive to the like, gen to general populace. Like something that something that I noticed in the uh, last U.S. presidential election was the villainizing of Trump's the weaponizing of Trump's unusual looks. Right, it will always be you really want to elect this ugly orange turd instead of a man who. It's, it's, it's if, 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 rather than a man who is. And I don't mean this to be to be bullying, but let's be honest, even in their youth, Joe Biden will most likely be considered a little bit more conventionally attractive than Donald Trump. And even though everyone, when talking about each other, oh, girl, you look so cute. You're not ugly at all. Suddenly, when they get canceled, what do we use? We weaponize their looks. I mean, did you see how ugly they were? I mean, we should have been able to tell. Like, for um, there's this YouTuber who, 
this old man who uh basically caught everyone's heart because he did cover the songs on YouTube and on YouTube, uh and and a lot of people you know felt comforted you know by an elderly man you know singing songs like you know the typical sort of child mindset that we usually have. It wasn't revealed that he was a sex offender. And it went from, oh my goodness, look at this cute old man, to, I mean, he kind of looked like a pedophile. I don't know how you guys didn't tell. I mean, he had the pedophile look down pat. Like, how did you not tell that this man was evil? Like, we like to pretend that we've moved on and that, you know, all this acceptance about people, people, but at the same time, you can... The moment that the moment that we decided that somebody is bad, suddenly, I mean, you should have been able to tell just how ugly they were. I mean, even the issue of the acceptance of people, it's more so saying you're beautiful and you look beautiful and you look beautiful instead of being like, I accept you for who you are. Even if with our acceptance movement, it's it's still kind of backward. Like it's 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 always telling people that they're listen. Honestly, for me, I'm more about a neutrality of looks rather than a positivity of looks. Like, for for example, for me, I don't necessarily think that I'm ugly, but definitely I don't feel like, like, wow, I'm so beautiful. I love every single corner of myself. Like, you know, there are still criticisms to be had, but it's more that you're neutral enough that it doesn't affect your opinions about the person's personality and character. But it's always... no, 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 you, you look so beautiful instead of being, it doesn't matter whether someone is beautiful or not. That shouldn't be able to judge, like, like somebody's just like, you know, sometimes I feel like such a horrible person. No, don't say that. You're so beautiful. You're so, I'm just like, huh? Basically that meme, like, don't be sad, ha, ha you're so sexy. But that's basically that, it's yeah. that meme. But maybe we could argue people are using beautiful in terms of, you have a beauty as a personality. Girl, no, they're not. You're a person, you're a beautiful person. They are not saying that, Chile. Oftentimes, it's gonna refer to oh, you're so, you're so, and then they're gonna add something like, and you're talented, and so on and so forth. But the beauty part is is relating to the looks, and it's kind of scary how often, like, it's almost like people are waiting for a chance to tear somebody's looks. Because let's be honest, the quickness in which we can decide, okay, this person is canceled. The quickness, it, it will, it will only take you two seconds to find a, a tweet. Or whatever, or comment saying, "Yeah, that person was ugly, anyways." Mm-hmm. And so it still shows that there's some sort of the, wait, what? what? <laughs> or when 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 men catcall and she's like, "Girl, you look like a Coke bottle," and she says, "No," and you're like, "You were ugly, anyways. You look like a refrigerator," and she's like, "A refrigerator, <laughs> a refrigerator." I'm just like, "How did we go from you look like a Coke bottle and you're you're hot? I want to I I want to be with you to you refused me. You look like a refrigerator now and you're ugly." Like there's a, there's a quickness to it, and I think it's definitely definitely influenced by society and culture. But I think all the way back in the beginning, there may have been some sort of I don't know something in the brain. I'm not an, I'm not an expert, but that led to all these talks about the the four humors and so on and so forth that became so ingrained that it's kind of like hard to separate. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, a, there's one thing that I wanted to mention is that, do you think that in some, in some way that the physical attractiveness theory is canceled out by status and money? Like, do you think that our opinions of people slightly change when we see the success of a person, depending on if we like them or not? Because um, our boy, not our boy, but we call everyone our boy, our boy Karl Marx um, wrote basically that 
ugliness really is only an impediment impediment if there's not some sort of status like money involved like um he said uh, in his own words quote i'm ugly but i can buy for myself the most beautiful of women therefore i am not ugly for the effect of ugliness it's the it's deterrent power is nullified by money end of quote I actually, because this is something I thought of, I think it doesn't override it, but it gives you another reason, or should I say a better reason, to be with that person, aka it sort of neutralizes the, your sort of the, how you feel and how you're going to approach that person, because you know that there's, even if the physical part is not a benefit to you, the money and the status and is a benefit to you so that's gonna it's gonna that's a greater motivation than the physical i mean that's why you see like you know pretty young women going with uh, with old men that are dying because they know that they're gonna steal the assets <laughs> as soon as he goes it's not because they necessarily find the person attractive or that they still that they don't all of a sudden think that he's not for example in their eyes repulsive they just know that it's a better there's a thing that's more important to them than the physical in that moment. Like the, the the power, like the sort of repulsive power of the of the quote unquote ugliness, is calmed by yeah. It's deafened. The sound of it is kind of deafened by the 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 the, the power. But that begs the question: Is this natural? And is this something that we need to unlearn, like culturally? Like, do we need to raise? people in a way that making sure that we avoid this because there is some proof you know we always like to say you know babies are so pure but there is evidence to suggest that babies oftentimes will trust and prefer people who are beautiful um physically people that they find the people that they find beautiful will be considered more trustworthy to them i mean of course babies their definition of trustworthy you know i mean they will see santa claus and fear for their lives i mean (laughs) I have I have my own anecdote about this is that when we went to Disneyland uh, in Paris, we got to be uh, Donald Duck, and I was terrified of him. I didn't want to be close to him. I thought he was scary. You know, now I see him as cute. I mean, for the most part, he's still a little bit. His attitude needs some fixing, but. At the same time, you know, children, of course, aren't perfect judges of character, but it does seem that people who are considered conventionally attractive, symmetrical faces, you know, so on and so forth, do get preferential treatment from babies. Like, is it something that we need to unlearn by the culture that surrounds us, or is this something natural? Hearing all this, it's really discouraging. (laughs) You know what I'm going to say? The answer is yes to both. As in... We definitely need to unlearn all the cultural things that we've raised up on top of that. But I think there's still a sort of part of us, for whatever reason, I can't tell you the reason, that just sort of gets drawn to that. I think just the way that we're drawn to things like stability and like, you know, perfection. There's a sort of strange drawing, human drawing to those kind of things, right? So I would say this. I definitely believe that we need to kind of... to, to rethink, reevaluate how we, how we as a society decide to treat people who we view as less attractive. However, I, I think it's also a little bit kind of stupid to pretend as if we can't necessarily see that in a sense. So I, 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 I would, to be, you can't pretend that you're colorblind to it, yeah. but you can't, you're, you, you have to decide not to act on that or to not let that sort of overtake your thinking, is what I'm saying. Judgment. Yeah. Like, we always say you, 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 but let's be honest, we've all in some way 
kind of fall into the whole they fall into that oh they're so pretty so i'm pretty sure they're, they look very nice you know so maybe they're nice people actually quite uh, question do you think that politically wise that you've ever trusted politicians that you find more physically a- attractive or more like less ugly basically girl you know me i don't trust politicians period no but do you feel slightly more trust towards people think- that look co- uh, conventionally more like normal like for example like listen i'm i'm not canadian and i know that trudeau is a little bit we don't talk about it but in terms of physical appearance i'm i look he looks more comfortable to be around than for example trump i mean if you had if trump came up to you and said do you need do you need to catch a ride versus if trudeau came up to you and said do you need to catch a ride? of course in, in no one no no one in south likes hitchhiking because we're very you know concerned uh, like that but would you trust trudeau more just from the fact that he's somebody that is conventionally attractive i mean quite frankly to be honest when it comes to politicians i've never had that moment for me where I felt like I trusted one more because of physicality. I don't know, Verizon. How about people in general? People in general? I think even if I did have a feeling of that, which I don't remember, my shyness will block me from kind of... I, 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 quite frankly, I'm trying to... I, to be honest, action. though, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like maybe... Let's be honest. We don't really go out that much. Maybe I don't have enough experience as an experience bank. But you, it's you don't need to act on it. But more the the me, the mental the process, mental, the mentality. No, not really, actually. I mean, I would say for myself that, for example, I always fall into the pitfall of, oh, they look really nice. I think they're nice people, or like they're very pretty. I think they're they they have a nice personality just by the assumption of the fact that they look pretty even though I don't know anything about their personality at all, you know? So, yeah, you definitely for me, except I don't act on it, of course. But, of course, like it's a given. No, no, of course, in the sense that I don't want to act on it because I know that it's not logical. No, I, I can't, or maybe it's just because my brain is melting. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember having a thought of like, oh, this person is pretty and... Ooh, maybe they're nice. I sound like a really bad person now. No. <laughs> no, no, no. For any, if anything, you you know yourself. I feel like sometimes I don't. I don't. I don't know myself. Yeah, I, I, I would say, even in small things, I think it's something sub subconscious. I don't think it's something that you necessarily always notice. But, I mean. Like, I think we had another podcast about, like, beauty, and it's something so difficult, honestly, because mm. it's so natural and subconscious that it, it's quite difficult to, you know, it's a difficult subject. But I think we can end our conversation here, although we'll probably have a part two for some day in the future, because there's a lot. Yeah, it was nice to talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you guys for listening. This has been the Three Masons podcast. I was your occasional host, Cindy, and I'm signing out. See you soon. Bye. Bye.